0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello everybody, welcome to Engage for Success and um, show number 257 of our radio show series. Uh, I'm host for today, Joe Moffat, one of the regular co-hosts, and as those of you who are regular listeners will know, I am. Uh, founder and Managing Director of Woodread and we specialise in using our brand to help organisations engage their employees and using the same techniques um, and creativity in thinking that external marketers use but using that, those on the inside. Um, I sit on the core team of Engage for Success, um, the UK's leading uh, movement with regards to employee engagement, um, and I'm really excited about our guest for today's show because it's been a it's a bit of a watershed moment really in terms of engagement success. The movement's been going for 10 years, and there have been some recent changes which many of you will be familiar with. Um, and one of which is we have a new uh, managing director. Her name is Farin Johnson, and she's joining us today. Um, for her first uh, guest appearance on the radio show. Um, and uh, I'm very, very excited to hear what she's got to say and, and really to allow her to share her first impressions um, of the of the movement and and her, perhaps a little, little little bit about her background and experience and, and where she wants to go in, in the future. Um, so welcome to the show, Farron. It's great to have you with us. Thank
1: you. And I am thoroughly delighted to be here, Joe. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, I know it was a little bit uh, a little bit early in uh, in the in your life cycle with the movement, but we wanted to get you on um, as soon as possible so that uh, so that you could really have an opportunity to speak more widely to everybody. So, um, so we're going to be talking um, a little bit about where you come from and, and why you joined the movement, and and really about I think probably um, what will come out over the next half an hour is is why that was clearly such a good thing both for you and for the movement i think what will come across certainly from my experience of talking to you is a is a passion um for for really putting people at the heart of business and and i've noticed um just looking at your linkedin profile just before we came went live um your strapline has now now reads making britain a great place to work and i love that I think that I, t- I
1: changed that literally last week, thinking, you know what, I just need to have something out there that tells everybody, anywhere, no matter what they're doing, what engage for success is. So hopefully that's a good line.
0: <laughs> well, I thought it was lovely. I noticed it. I only just noticed you'd done that, so that that was great. So, um, so we, we're colleagues, obviously, on the core team at Engage for Success um mm. but we, we've not met many times it's really only only in a handful of times since you joined us so perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about yourself um baron um yeah. professionally where you come from but also a little bit about your, yourself personally because i think it's always good with these things to think in terms of people bringing their whole selves to work and uh, of course yeah. engage for success is no different to any other organization in that respect
1: Indeed, indeed. So let, let me start at the beginning. So look, I've got an operational background. Um, you know, I left school, I started, I didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do, went into underwriting, headed up a litigation department, and through the work I was doing there, got involved in lots of things people and culture related. And somebody very kindly said to me, look, we think you have something special in the HR space. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to have an organization that paid for me to do my CIPD qualification. So I literally started at the bottom and worked my way up. Um, I've got specialism in org development and org design um, Mm -hmm. and big transformation. Um, I've been a generalist at heart as well. Um, I've covered everything, the relations side, the reward, um, engagement, uh, you name it, I think I've done it in, mm-hmm. in you know, threefold. Um, typically, I've worked um, for private organizations or listed organizations, those that are in the FTSE or the Fortune.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: They are typically multinational. Um, mm-hmm. I've done some time in the private equity space which uh, was very interesting and completely obliterated all illusions that i had <laughs> the bad illusions that i had about private equity um, oh, really? which i was delighted actually to, to work in that that environment mm-hmm. um and then uh, over the last three years i've been with the uk civil service um i joined them at a time i joined the ministry of justice which is it says what it does on the tin it administers justice mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I joined them when they were trying to secure a heavy investment in their courts and tribunals service. Um, They wanted to uh, re-engineer and reform all of the justice system so that the administration of justice was easier for users, i.e. the citizens of the UK. But users also encapsulated both employees, staff, the workforce, as well mm-hmm. as professional users. So um, I joined them, helped secure the funding, um, and implemented a big people and cultural, cultural transformation program, um, mm-hmm. and the real base root um, driver of making sure that that transformation uh, was successful and continues to be successful post the transformation and the digitization of services was an engagement strategy. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, After that success, it was very much a case of, what shall I do next? I've built the team, they're ready to implement everything, Um, and this opportunity came along, and I was just so excited after I had a few conversations with David, Nita, um, and Kathy, and Peter at the CIPD, Mm -hmm. and just thought, Mm -hmm. this is the place for me. It it Mm -hmm. absolutely goes to the core of who I am and what I believe in.
0: Excellent, good. Well, I, and I, you know, as, as as you're speaking, I can actually hear that you're smiling, um, and I am. You know, that's, <laughs> and so that that's not um, that hasn't really stopped. So, how many days have you been with us? When did you join? Let's all oh, count the days. When did you join us?
1: Yeah, I, I joined at the beginning of May, so I think I think I'm uh, just a, a couple months, just short of a couple months in. Um yes. So yeah, it's it's been an amazing welcome to the Engaged Success family. Um, and latterly, um, over the last uh, few weeks, more and more working with CIPD and Peter um, and mm-hmm. his colleagues and the board there about mm. how we successfully get the best of engaged to Success and the best of CIPD and bring them together.
0: Right, yes, I'm going to want to talk to you a little bit more about that mm. in, in a moment. So, okay, yeah. so, so what a, um, a fascinating... Um, uh, biography really and cv that you you've had there and i think i think it's interesting that um prior to public sector um and, and obviously you're talking about private equity as well but prior to being in the public sector largely working with footsie and big multinationals um mm. i think one of the one of the biggest challenges that is, is getting the message of putting people at the heart of business across to those big PLC-type organisations, isn't it, and, and getting them to understand that this is something that is not just HR's job to do.
1: It, it is, and my experience is it depends which sector you're in. You know, if you're in the financial service sector, that connectivity with the end consumer of service um, you can quite easily, and certainly through the four enablers and the, um, the uh, evidence that um, engaged successful together through the task force, you know, that helped prove the link between um, client loyalty or customer loyalty and employee loyalty and engagement. So that's great. There are other sectors, though, that it's harder to do. So sometimes the mechanisms that you use, either as an HR professional or as a board member, whether you're risk and compliance, you might take a risk route, can you afford not to do it? Or if you're a finance director, being able to talk about not not only is engagement improving your efficiency of your operating costs, but it's also about if you're listed, growing your share price and you can get that correlatory link in. But more importantly, don't we all, at the heart of it, want to go to work, enjoy our workplace, our work environment, the colleagues that we work with, and also feel fulfilled in what we're doing? And I don't think that there's a sector at all, in and in fact any geography at all, that people don't come to that real want and desire from what they're doing at work.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think you're probably right. I think you're right. So before we come on to talk a little bit about the, the CIPD and the and, um, and Engage for yeah. Success and, the, and, and what, we, what we're about there, and obviously that's a, a big change project of our own that we're, we're involved in, can, we just tell us, can you just tell us a little bit more about the, the Ministry of Justice work that you did? So you, you said that absolutely at the heart of it was an engagement strategy. How, can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like?
1: Yeah. So um, the the business I inherited was about seventeen thousand employees, and I think within the first three three weeks we secured the funding from Treasury, one point two billion, and then we announced with unions through consultation with them that we would reduce our workforce significantly and will reduce our state. So between forty and fifty percent reductions of those. So it's a big change program over a uh, six year period of time. So uh, the problem that we had, the first problem that we had, is you know all of that takes time to plan. You know, we weren't sure which sites we were going to either shut down, turn into something new. We weren't sure which services or products we were going to digitize. We weren't really sure how it was going to impact staff, but we knew that we had an inkling that every job was going to change, including the CEOs. Mm-hmm. So how do you then create an environment that says there is certainty in a completely ambiguous area, because Mm -hmm. we didn't have any plans in place. We knew roughly what the business model was. We knew roughly that things would take a certain length of time. So, if you are part of that workforce, suddenly you're told, I could be one of this 40 to 50% losing my job or changing location and doing different things. But you're not actually going to tell me when that's going to impact me. Mm-hmm. So engagement, keeping people engaged, um, was was probably the first agenda that we had to face. So we created something called One Conversation, and it was uh, it was very purposely called One Conversation because it was about making sure we involved everyone, 17,000. Um, mm-hmm. but not just 17,000 employees. It included all of the judiciary, the magistrates, the tribunal leads. It included all professional users. It included all of the adjacent government services, all the police forces, crime prosecution, etc. that used the services of courts and tribunals. It mm-hmm. had to be everywhere because it had to cover all locations. And if you think about courts, you can't suddenly stop a court hearing just because you would quickly want to have a team meeting. So mm-hmm. it had to be accessible everywhere in the UK um, and in bite-sized chunks. So that if you could only have a 15 minute with your team, you were able to cover the salient points and get their employee voice rising up to the top. Um, okay. And then the last one is one conversation had to be together. So it all had to be happening at the same time. And what we learned over time is that we had to give them a two month window of opportunity to have those one conversation meetings and chats to get mm-hmm. that employee voice up the organization
0: mhm mhm, gosh, logistically incredibly complex then yes, very yeah, <laughs> but then I
1: had a great team
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, so, I mean, so really, if we talk about the four neighbors, that was very much playing to the enabler three the employee voice one but but of course demanded really effective management structures and abilities people to actually cascade and brief that content and listen to people's concerns and and address them I guess as well
1: well yeah it, it did but um I'm slightly slightly, um, uh, ruffled by the word cascade, because the one thing that One Conversation wasn't was a communication cascade. Yes, Uh there were important messages that we needed to transmit, get over Mm to the workforce. I -hmm. was more interested, and certainly the exec team and judiciary were more interested in, you know, the workforce are closer to this system than we will ever be. Yeah. So they had the
0: answers then, they were going to have the yeah. answers for you, which is classic employee but, voice, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, but what we had to get, that um, making sure that everybody knew how to tell the story um, was mm-hmm. really important, because there mm-hmm. were so many dimensions of change, of things that were going to change, mm-hmm. and the civil service was, this is very much my personal view, was run in a project management. Everything's run on a project management way. That's the speak there. So how do yeah. we turn this big reformation into a language that people understand, the workforce understand, users understand, mm-hmm. and then making mm-hmm. sure that leaders were able to connect emotionally with the emotion their workforce were feeling, that uncertainty, bearing in mind that they, as leaders, as line managers, were also dealing with an ambiguous situation because they didn't know what was going to happen to them. Mm, so that mm. organisational integrity, the fourth enabler, making yep. sure that people were true to themselves and they were able to talk about the, the worry, the stress, the lack of well balance, that had to become a commonplace narrative. It couldn't be something mm. that was just spoken about in the appraisal or when you had a one-to-one with your line manager. It had to become everyday conversation.
0: Yes. Yeah, interesting. So, so tell me, did, did when you were going through this project with the MOJ, did you did you know, and were you entirely sort of thinking in terms of the four enablers, or is it a is it now that you look back on that from your position of really being immersed in the whole engage with success thinking that you can actually say, oh yes, I can see, you know, that we can actually see how that was all how that all came to pass by and how it was all applied.
1: Well, um, you know, my, my relationship with Engage for Success has been around for a long time. I remember uh-huh, David right. uh, McLeod many years ago when I was at Reed Elsevier coming, knocking on the door. At that point, it was very much asking for corporate sponsorship. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Reed Elsevier was one of the case studies, and we, uh, and through my career since Reed Elsevier, I've always kept uh, Engage for Success and the Four Enablers close to my heart. Ah, right. That said... Yeah. When it came to drawing up the One Conversation strategy, I'm not sure it was right at the forefront of my mind, but Mm -hmm. I did have very good, both a team of internal um, HR professionals and some consultants who worked with us. And the enablers were certainly at the heart of their strategy around how we were going to grow um, both strategic narratives deep through the organisation as well as employee
0: voice up the organisation. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah, good. Okay, so let's turn a little bit now, bring things a little closer to home. Um, as, yeah. I, as I said, we're we're on a bit of a change project, aren't we, at, at Engage for Success with the uh, changing relationship that we now have with the CITD. Um, and yeah. some of our listeners may have seen um, Peter Cheese's newsletter that's gone out literally within the last sort of hour or so, um, talking yeah. about that and we now have a much closer relationship rather than just being our, our our primary sponsor we are now owned by CIPD but still very much a standalone brand um, and, uh, and with our own standalone specialism so so tell me what you see Farron as being you know the sort of the essence of that relationship and what your role as managing director of Engage for success is is going to be they may not necessarily be the same. You know, one answer may not yeah. cover both those. But
1: um, so I'm, I'm going to take a step back before I answer the question. So when I was talking to you know I had my first conversation with David McLeod about the possibility of doing something with Engage for success, and we, we really hadn't put um, kind of arms and legs to what that might look like. And I had a mm-hmm. follow up conversation with Kathy um, and then with uh, Peter and i I took my time to really kind of interrogate both David and Peter around what exactly did they want from this. If we were looking to incorporate, to work more closely, to work in alliance with, to work in partnership with i 'm less worried about what that means from a legal structure. I am more worried about what that means in terms of allowing the movement to operate with the same energy, the passion, the entrepreneurial thinking that we currently operate in. And if Mm -hmm. I felt that the incorporation with CIPD was going to somehow dampen it, then it certainly wouldn't have been a move for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure it would have necessarily been the right thing for Engage for Success. So I had Mm -hmm. to test that for myself, and I felt confident at the end of those conversations Over the last two months, now working with Peter and David, and and, I cannot tell you how much credit to Cathy as well, um, there is very much a view that, yes, of course, there are ways that engagement success can leverage some of the things that CIPD have to offer. So it can leverage, you know, good uh, communications and marketing. It can mm-hmm. leverage some good technology platforms. It can leverage mm-hmm. some of the networks that CIPD have within the HR community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But our listeners will know, Engage for Success has a wider audience. It's an industrial audience. Those industrial voices that can really shape economic impact of our work with our workforce. So they are two different communities, two different audiences. CIPD, if I then look from their perspective, they want to leverage how on earth do you get this social movement, the, the, the energy, the passion? How do you get people who are free giving of their time, their expertise, their thought leadership, their research capability, their challenging thinking into the UK economy? How do you leverage that to enable HR professionals to do their job better and to continue to grow having a seat at the top table. So both parties want something from each other where, where it's mutual benefit.
0: Mm. My role
1: as MD is very much about trying to put some of that down on paper. So some of it is about we need to, we are now 10 years old as an engaged for Success, we had a task which the task force worked on. We've got our good body of evidence. We do need to re- think about, do we need to refresh that evidence, revalidate that the evidence is still true, still holds strong today, or has things moved on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a question that we need to think about, and that's what I'm doing in my first 100 days.
0: Mm-hmm. So right.
1: The second yep. piece is how do we... Um, define how engagement, Success and CIPD can leverage each other's uniqueness mm-hmm. so that we both mutually benefit and how mm-hmm. can we leverage the networks that each, each party have so that you can kind of use each other's networks to get your own messages out, both a broader industrial voice as well as the HR community. And mm-hmm. when I say HR community, I don't want to belittle the HR community because I don't mean that. HR has a strong industrial voice too. What I want to do is look at, most look at it from a risk perspective. What is the risk if we don't do things? So mm-hmm. if we don't grow employee engagement, how does that affect things like productivity, health and well-being, um, uh, health and safety? All of those factors that we know have a strong correlation with employee engagement. All mm-hmm. of those areas are strongly within the domain of HR. And yeah. HR can use this as an enabler to have a better voice at the table in the boardroom.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that leads. I really, um, I feel I feel rather silly to ask you this next question because I think you've you've spelt it out very nicely. But one one of the things that I did before um, coming on the show today was to sort of uh, trawl around some of our networks and ask people. You know, if you had if you had a few minutes with Farin, what would you want to ask her? And one of the questions was, um, do you think as a movement we can make a difference? And um, this was led led on from a a question which was, is there still a need for an organization, a movement like Engage for Success? And um, yes, I mean, I think you you kind of answered that. But I wonder if you could perhaps expand on why you think there is still very much a need for a movement like Engage for Success and perhaps, particularly in the context of this whole sort of debates around the future of work. And I think you were at PwC's conference this week, weren't you, where that was very I much the topic.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, there, there has never been more of a need for us to continue these conversations and to continue pushing um, to make sure that um, not just employee engagement, but making sure that we have good work and a good workplace um, you know, the UK is changing demographically. It's changing post-Brexit, of course. Every, that's you know, it's an obvious thing that, that everyone's talking about. But employee expectations are changing. The way we work is changing. Um, uh, if I have a look at the the broader kind of climate changes and the impact on what that means for people and what they do at work and how they work, so. Making sure that this is a continuing conversation—it's really important right now. Um, that I was—you're right—I was at a conference last week, um, PwC. It was a client conference, so many mm-hmm. sectors, um, all three of the public, private, and third sectors, and many industries were represented from their client group. And these mm-hmm. are board members who were there. Um, mm-hmm. And when I spoke about engaged success. My one observation is not many had heard about it, so we need more work on making sure people understand what we're doing. Mm. But also we need to start making sure that we join up and hold hands with other important influencing parties. So, you know, we've got the Federation of Small Businesses, um, the Chambers of Commerce, BITC. We've got Be the Business, the the, um, RSA, Um, and Mm -hmm. obviously our alliance with the CIPD. We need to start Mm. bringing that all together and acting as one voice. We all come from it at a different perspective, but we really have one message for the UK economy.
0: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Yes. And do you think that it is always going to be, or it should always be, the responsibility of the employer, the responsibility of potentially government, potentially um, third-party groups like you've described there, um, you know, the Biz and, and CIPD and Federation of Small Business and the RSA, for example. Is it, is it always the responsibility of employers and organisations of, of, of those types, and including ours in that, um, to um, drive in, engagement and to um, work towards an, an engaged workforce? Or do you think individuals need to step up to the plate and take a bit of responsibility for their own engagement? Or is that, is that a little bit of a pipe dream, do you think?
1: No. I, I, um, first of all, I think responsibility should um, definitely rest with employers, no matter how big or small. So whether you are a, um, a, a small business with you know, less than 10 employees or your SME, or your large corporation. You know, there is a responsibility, and that's part of um, the emotional offer um, when you are recruiting people and attracting them to your organization. It's why employee value propositions are, are, are so important for an organization. That said, um, whether I think um, the owners should be on employees or the workforce. And I, I've, I'm purposely not using the word employees, but the workforce, because you could be a mm-hmm. sole employee. I mm-hmm. think they want something different now. So they are beginning to speak. Um, it, Federation of Small Businesses have got a voice now. Um, sole practitioners and the networks, if you're an independent contractor, the networks that exist for them to get their voice heard. Um, it's already happening. Yes, there should be more. Yes, there should be more, um, whether you are part of a large workforce, workforce in a large corporation. But I think organizations those that understand the risk of not recognizing the employee voice and the employee needs. Um, mm. I think they will find themselves in a particularly difficult organization from a, dare I say, moral and ethical perspective in the
0: future. Yes, interesting. It's it's yeah. I mean, I I love this emphasis on the risk of not doing because I think so often it's actually quite easy to think. Well, okay, we started talking about these things, and I kind of get the gist of this of these concepts. Um, but six months down the line, we haven't actually changed anything. We haven't done anything different to what we were doing six months ago. But the world hasn't fall. You know, the sky hasn't fallen in. So, what's the problem? But I think it's the mm if you can actually paint a picture and tell a story of the downside of the status quo and actually, you know, how much better, you know, there's a two sides to that risk, aren't there? There's the risk of what could go horribly wrong if you don't, but then there's also the the huge lost opportunity risk of Mm. what could be done so much better, what could be done so much better in terms of delivering bottom line profit and productivity and client satisfaction scores um if you do do these things, and I think those you know there's two sides to the equation which both of which are really important to spell out, aren't they i
1: I think so, and also i I think if you have a look at you know latest statistics, if you just look at mental health issues, for example, in youngsters and we're going from badas uh, age seven up to age twenty one it's kind of two middle ages that then actually they are growing. The pressures on young people are huge. So Mm -hmm. how do we make sure our future workforce are able and ready to face what is on offer, which is a kind of pre-engagement strategy in a workplace environment. But actually, if I look at pupils at school, what are we doing to help pupils at school to help them deal with the stresses of exams and social and um, family pressures, so that if they can enable themselves and get the right support mechanisms in place, then actually that enables them to face what they have
0: in the workplace. In the workplace, indeed. And and that comes to the end of our our show. I'm afraid, Baron, we've um, completely run out of time. So all that really remains thank is you. To, to say thank you very much for joining us. It's been fabulous. And if people want to follow the conversation, then please go to engageforsuccess.org um, and sign up for our weekly newsletter, as there will be a lot more coming down the track in future. And we'll no doubt have you back on the show again. So. Thank you very much, um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.